0: prime people to think about, okay, for this meeting, this conversation, this activity, how do you need to bring yourself to it? What way of being will best serve the outcome that you're aiming for? How do you embody that, whatever it may be?
1: Welcome to Rise Leaders Radio. I'm your host, Leanne Mallory. As a leadership coach, I work inside organizations and I focus on helping leaders achieve their whole person potential and meaningfully contribute to their organization's mission. With this podcast, I share leadership best practices, developmental approaches, and stories of exemplary leaders. Hey there, friends, I am really glad to be back with you today to share with you the conversation I had with Amanda Blake. Mandy's the author of a really great book called Your Body is Your Brain. She's a master somatic leadership coach. She holds a degree in human biology from Stanford University and is currently pursuing a PhD in management at Case Western Reserve. Mandy's committed to building a better world by helping all of us be our best selves. Based on research that she did for her dissertation, Mandy shares with us today the outcomes we could all expect by increasing our embodied self-awareness. We get into this pretty deeply and talk very pragmatically about what this means, including examples of how we've both used this approach with leaders we've had the honor to work with. Be sure to check out the show notes for links, including a free download to Mandy's Stress to Serenity Guide. Enjoy the conversation and please remember you can always reach out if you have questions about anything you heard here today. Hello, Amanda Blake, my friend Mandy, how are you today?
0: Oh, I'm good. I'm so excited that we get to reconnect and, and talk about all these things today.
1: I know, I know. You've been on my mind so much. And uh, I just want to say your book that you published in 2018, Your Body is Your Brain, is, has been um, such a great resource for me. And reconnecting with the book and reconnecting with you, uh, reminds me, I need to send this out to some folks because it's, uh, it's so accessible. And um, your explanation of writing the book so that it could be given out that way and be really useful for, for people is exactly correct. It's, it's a great resource.
0: Good. Well, it's really gratifying to hear that. And it was absolutely a labor of love. So always when people are like, this helps me, I go, yay. <laughs>
1: right, right.
0: I'm so glad to hear it.
1: So we're going to talk about embodiment and embodied self-awareness today, because I think it's so useful. We're finding more and more ways to make this accessible for folks. I think neuroscience is really helping us explain what is happening in the body and how that impacts our effectiveness and the impact that we can make. Uh, So it's, it's feeling, it's not having a resurgence so much as it's becoming more and more common, I think.
0: Yeah. It's funny. Cause as you say that, like you and I both started doing this a really long time ago. And I remember years ago when um, uh, somebody that I crossed paths with, she was just embarking on this path. And when I talk to people about embodiment or the role that emb- embodiment can have for leaders or for my, she taught in a business school, she's like with my MBA students, you know, they look at me like I have eight heads, <laughs> right? Like I don't, what like how could the body be at all related to what i'm doing in my work life or as a manager or as a leader and um i think as we do the research and understand more and more like what role the body plays in influencing our behavior and influencing our thinking and decision-making and influencing our emotions that, that it starts to become a lot more clear how the way we hold ourselves, the way we carry ourselves, the way we pay attention to our interior experience throughout the day actually has a huge impact on us as leaders. It does. So, yeah. And yeah. We'll, yep. we'll pause there. Yeah.
1: Well, I wanted to um, read back to you if I may, a definition that you have for embodiment in the very beginning of your book. And I haven't read this in a long time and reading it again, it just feels so right. So I'm going to just read this and then we'll go from there. Yep. So you say our embodiment is our extraordinary ability to put complex actions and interactions on autopilot so that what comes next or how to respond becomes second nature. I'm talking about the body as a reflection of the person who lives within it. I think that's so elegant.
0: Yeah, you know, when we use that term, when we use that term in sort of common everyday conversation, what that's what we're talking about because we'll say something like, "Oh, that person just embodies confidence," or "embodies integrity," or "embodies," um, gosh, I don't know, think fill in the blank, any quality, right? And what we're really talking about there is a way of being, right? So I think about embodiment on on kind of three levels. I think about embodiment is is a way of being. We are a a tangible representation of integrity, or confidence, or grace under pressure, or um, joyful effervescence, or you know, kind of e or downer, <laughs> whatever it might be that it, that it is for us, right, will be an embodiment, and and it is a so it is a reflection of our way of being, and then I also talk about embodiment as a way of knowing. So embodiment is a felt sense way of knowing about ourselves, about others, and about the world. And one way to really understand this is like, if you you step on your dog's tail, Your dog knows that its tail has been stepped on, right? It's not an idea. It's not forming the cartoon bubble of words in in its mind, but the dog knows you stepped on on its tail, right? Our embodiment is a way of being. It's a way of knowing. So we pick up on things. We know things about ourselves, others in the world through our felt sense. And then it's also a way of paying attention. And when I talk about that, I talk about embodied self-awareness, which is defined in the research literature as present moment, nonjudgmental attention to what our interior state is, to our sensations, our movements. So I like to think about it that way, right? Like that embodiment is, and it's why it's sometimes a little hard to pin down. What are we talking about when we're talking about the body, but it's because it happens at these three levels. It's a way of being a way of knowing and a way of paying attention. Can you say that third one again? So embodied self-awareness is defined as present moment, non-judgmental attention to our interior state, specifically to our sensation, our movement, and our emotions. So like if you right now can feel yourself sitting in the chair, right? something that any listener might just be sort of have most of their attention on their listening, but if they happen to be sitting down or maybe you're walking while you're listening to this podcast, you can become aware of your feet on the earth. Like all that was happening before you were paying attention to it. But once you start to you're like, oh, let me tune into that. Mm-hmm. You can start to inhabit yourself more deeply. And as you're saying
1: that, I started bringing more attention to my body and I realized I've got my shoulders pulled in, which then I'm less able to pull breath in. It narrows me. So like, I feel less spacious. So I'm going to uh, bring my shoulders a little bit wide here and open up. I was just noticing. So is that an example of that third level? It's like, oh, I'm sitting here and I notice that I was kind of holding my breath and my shoulders were narrow and my chest was tight.
0: So that's a really perfect example. And it's the kind of thing that for both biological reasons and cultural reasons, we normally filter out of our awareness. We normally just don't pay attention. But if in the middle of a meeting or a podcast or, you know, whatever might be going on around you, if you can just bring your attention to like, oh, Where are my shoulders? How is my breath? Where are my feet on the floor? Um, You can find yourself, let's say, squeezed in or your shoulders squeezed in. Like I'm I'm imagining myself, frankly, in a tough meeting with an old boss that I used to have. And I would do that. I would squeeze all in my internal line. And then when I learned how to, like, notice that and intervene in it and soften and kind of expand outwards, I could get more influential with this person that really didn't want to be influenced by me. This was a boss that I didn't particularly get along with, <laughs> right? But but it, it made me a little bit more confident. So I embodied more confidence, right? Because someone who's kind of squeezed in or collapsed down, we would look at them and say, oh, that person doesn't seem so confident, right? Yeah. So I would embody more confidence, both from the inside and as I was... Perceived by her, and and I, it just made me feel more comfortable, and more able to to sort of state my case.
1: So that's interesting. Um, you are remembering a time where you wanted to be more influential, or take a stand, or be more confident. I think what was happening for me in this moment is that I actually haven't recorded a podcast in a while, and I'm a little nervous, mm-hmm. you know. And I, when I notice that. I was not breathing deeply. What happens for me from a listening perspective is if I'm tight there, I don't listen very uh, generatively or generously. So from an active listening standpoint, it inhibits my ability to listen when I'm tight that way. It's like things can't get in.
0: Well and so what's interesting is like when when you're tight in that way I, I can uh, yes I can relate to all of this <laughs> and like I am the, we like to geek out about the science right so so the other thing that's happening is when you're tight in that way you're you're sending a subtle signal to your brain through your interoceptive nervous system not a term anyone needs to remember right but there is this subtle signal that goes to your brain that says anxiety alert right and then meanwhile you're getting less air into your lungs which also means less oxygen to your brain so you're not thinking quite as clearly so you actually it is actually it is. harder to listen yep. it is literally harder to listen and then when you can like relax all that we get to have a different conversation than, than we otherwise would and it would have been good either way but Yeah, we're we're present with each other.
1: Well, and I do want to say this is one of the beautiful things about where you are. And Mandy, I remember you talking about, I remember when this book was an idea that you had and you were really working on how am I, how do I want to organize it? What do I want to say? And the science, uh, maybe it wasn't new science, but it was just becoming more available yeah. And now, I, again, I just think that the science really helps us. Just the way that you explained that there, it makes sense to people. You know, we basically, I'm putting myself into a fight or flight mode, which is not where I want to be if I want to be generative and generous. You know, yeah. and so, so I w- want to let folks uh, know who are listening that you're um, working on your PhD and you're, uh, tell me again or r- remind me what your dissertation is about, because that's really what we're talking about here today. So I really wanted to dig into that a little bit, not the geek- geeky science stuff, but the really practical application of how all of this stuff makes a positive difference in our life and knowing it helps us to be more effective and live a more fulfilling life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the piece that interests me the most, right? I got interested in the science, quite frankly, because my life was so helped, right? Like I was personally very transformed by the learning I did around embodied leadership. And and then I was like, hang on a minute, like, this doesn't make sense. Why would it matter if I kind of soften my shoulders or relax my jaw? Like, why would that make such a big difference? And that's what had me kind of go down this path to write a book that really is about, um, you know, hopefully a very readable book that really is about um, answering that question. Like, why does this make such a difference and what difference does it make? My dissertation research, is really about what difference does it make. And there's kind of two angles that I'm looking at. Um, The place where I have results already is, okay, when you increase your embodied self-awareness, what actually happens? What are the outcomes? What what does that produce in your life? And I'll say a little, I'll, I'll answer that question momentarily, but just to say like part two of the research, which I'm working on now is, okay, if all these great benefits accrue, how do you actually develop embodied self-awareness? What are the practices and the very practical things that you can do um, that might help you cultivate that? So let's talk about the outcomes because that's the place where I, I have done the data analysis. I know some of the answers. Um, and and what we're seeing is, is that when people increase their embodied self-awareness, a number of other things come along with that. So Um, several of the competencies of emotional and social intelligence that have been shown to be like the kinds of things that set apart exemplary leaders from just average leaders. And these are things like empathy and the ability to manage conflict, um, resilience and adaptability. And then one thing that actually isn't a part of emotional and social intelligence, but that I really wanted to look at was flourishing. So how does this affect our just our overall well-being in our lives and and how does it affect our our enjoyment and our sense of satisfaction and and purpose and meaning because I see with my clients I have experienced with myself like that tends to be a really significant and common outcome from deepening the skill of paying attention so that skill of embodied self awareness so all of these things like if you increase your embodied self awareness by some mysterious unmeasurable unit of one right let's say like i get one more embodied self awareness right all these other things come along flourishing is at about 50% resilience is at about 50% they're they're not quite the same right but but they'll 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 sort of be pulled along. And so just by developing your embodied self-awareness, you can make really substantial improvements in really practical skills like empathy and the ability to manage conflict. Why is that? Can you talk about
1: why, why that is?
0: Yeah, I can, um, depending on how neuro geeky you want me to get. But I think that there's, for each of these different capacities that gets developed, right? For, for the, let's take resilience as one example, right? So resilience, we could talk about that as the capacity to recover from stress. And first of all, being able to recover from stress means you recognize that you're when you're stressed and some people are really good at recognizing that, but some people don't know, right? We're just like busy doing our stuff and we're, um, you know, we don't even really realize we're stressed until we maybe sit down at the end of the day and go, oh, phew, that was intense, right? Yeah, why am I so tired? Why am I so like that? Yeah. Yeah. So so the first thing is recognizing it. And we know that stress is physiological, right? Like stress, yep. has the release of hormones, um, cortisol uh, changes to the hypothalamus and pituitary. You know, there's it's like there's all these changes in your body that occur under stress. And um, if stress is physiological, then resilience or the ability to bounce back from stress, or the ability to handle and recover from stress, also has to have a physiological component. It has to. Love that. Right. So when we start to develop our embodied self awareness, part of what happens is we get better at noticing the flags, right, of stress, where we're like, oh, I, very subtly, I'm not breathing. <laughs> Didn't mm-hmm. really notice that. <laughs> My
1: shoulders right? are pulled in tight. Yeah.
0: Right. Just something that's like really subtle that you might not ordinarily notice. Um, And then you go, oh, there's that flag, that cue that for me is my signal that tells me I'm in stress. You know, some clients I've worked with, it has to do with like a turning in their gut or a furrowing of their brow, or, you know, they get like a prickly feeling along the back of their neck. So for each one of us, it'll be unique, but if you can start to recognize like, well, this is my red flag and then here's something that I can physically do to shift that. And I like to help people find kind of meeting friendly ways because we all know like, oh, I could go work out or go to the gym or go for a run or take a deep breath or, you know, whatever it is that you do to, to help yourself, um, get, Unstressed, but what can you do in the meeting? Like just softening the way your shoulders are held, right? Can you just nobody even needs to notice or know you're doing this, right? Right. And it's like this secret superpower where you can go, just like I'm just gonna soften my shoulders a little bit here. I'm just gonna relax my jaw or feel myself sitting in my seat, and whoa, all of a sudden that starts to change the constellation of of stress hormones in my body. Oh, I'm gonna sit up a little straighter. That's gonna change actually the signals to my brain, the release of stress hormones. And all of a sudden I'm like a little bit more okay being in this somewhat stressful meeting. Right. And so that's how building embodied self-awareness can start to help us build more resilience. As
1: you were speaking, I'm remembering a, an SVP of sales, a senior vice president of sales that I worked with several years ago, big guy. He's about six, five, former football player. And, um, he kind of had a reputation for being intense. And when someone that big gets intense or angry, it really, like everybody pays attention. Yeah, And it would change the tone of a meeting, even if he wasn't running the meeting. So if they were talking about revenue or growth or something in this meeting, and he got uptight his thing was to kind of start leaning forward and he would kind of put his elbows on the table and lean forward and not just his elbows, but his whole arm. And like, he looked, it was like, almost like a bulldog, you know, he would kind of get that look. And so we worked with him on just like him noticing, okay, here are the cues when I'm about to go into that mode, I start shutting things down and he, you know, he like persecuting and, you know, like getting loud, all those things. So just noticing that, and catching it. Um, And he was so astute. Um, He really could recognize those signs. And then just sitting back and broadening his shoulders, but it not only had an impact on him, it had such a positive impact on the meetings that he was in because of his size, the sound of his voice, all of those things really, really changed the tone of the meeting.
0: Yeah. So one of the things that's known about like how teams work because there's usually someone who's a mood leader and if there's someone who's particularly influential either because of positional power or because of they have a strong personal presence or maybe this guy is physically right all of that like they they're people will kind of follow the mood of the mood leader and it's contagious and it's physically contagious. So, this is one of the reasons why when you increase your embodied self-awareness, you can also ch- change your ability to manage conflict because what he was doing, right, was generating inadvertently, not on purpose or, you know, maybe sometimes yes, but like generating tension in the meeting that was going to hinder the team getting done whatever it needed to get done, right? right? So if he could learn to intervene, to be, right, embodiment is, I said, a way of being, to to, know, to pay attention in a different way, know something different about himself, and then be in a different way, bring a different way of being to that meeting just by sitting back and broadening his shoulders and maybe dropping his chin a little bit or softening his eyes, right, then that brings a whole different tone and tenor to the meeting. The team can get its work done in a whole different way. But a counterpoint to that, right, We'll just go with stereotypes for the moment and go with like, I'm a small woman, right? Like I'm 5'1", and I don't take up a lot of space. And especially earlier in my life, I I would have, I've never really had a hard time speaking up, but in situations where I might feel intimidated or unsure of myself, I, I would and so, what would I need to do in, in such a case, right? And instead of maybe leaning back or having tension in my jaw that isn't going to let any words out, or I might need to sit up straighter, I might need to lift my eyes, I might need to actually lean forward a little bit on the table to, to say like, hey, I have a contribution to make to this meeting. I want you guys to hear me out, right? So, there's it's very unique and individual what, what we might need or want to do to kind of counteract some of the tendencies we might have that could be totally unconscious, but getting in our own way of either our, our professional success or even a conversation with a spouse or a loved one or a child.
1: Yeah. And I'm thinking again about the this uh, excerpt or this blurb that I read earlier, um, our ability to put complex actions and interactions on autopilot. So, his way of being in a meeting when things got hot he didn't it was it was on autopilot but it was having the uh, the impact that wasn't helpful for him or the team yeah your autopilot may have been the opposite to sit back clench your jaw etc so it's like noticing that and then designing new practices and and I will even sometimes have my clients but i will say look at your calendar and know how you're showing up in different meetings and if you want to if you need to be practicing something new like for this guy it was taking deep breaths all the things that we've already talked about that he flagged it and he went into that meeting knowing about it and perhaps even walked got into the meeting a little bit early so he could take a seat and start the meeting from that way of being rather than rushing in and and not being in control, forgetting about the impact he was hoping to create.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's really beautiful to kind of prime people to think about, okay, for this meeting, this conversation, this activity, how do you need to bring yourself to it? What way of being will best serve the outcome that you're aiming for? And I think that's just a really useful question for people to ask themselves. And then how do you embody that? If what you need to bring is confidence or calm or um, a deep sense of listening or whatever it may be, right? Like, how do you want to bring that self forward? Mm -hmm. And we all have so many capacities inside ourselves. It's not like we're trying to manufacture something new and put it on top of you know, we we all have the capacity for confidence or for deep generative listening or for whatever it may be. And, and um, we can cultivate that, right? If it's less accessible to us, it's something that we can practice and become better at.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, connecting in my mind right now. There's a whole new wave of uh, books, knowledge that's coming out about parts therapy like symphony of selves and IFS what is that something uh integral family systems or something like that where it's like we have all of these different parts and we all have them they're not bad it's like we need to have those different parts but each part probably has a different way of embodying itself And a different part that, you know, a different embodiment that we want to bring to that part when that part needs to show up, like the confident part or the calm part, whatever that is. So I'm just making that connection that I hadn't uh, made before. Yeah. So I want you to talk a little bit more about um, resilience Mm -hmm. and embodiment or embodied self-awareness. We have all talked so much about the last 15, 18 months that we've had, Across the globe, some people are still in the middle of it, but it's been tough. And we're moving back into workplaces and back into a pace that many of us aren't used to anymore, like in-person meetings and more coffees and more, and I'm finding people um, in overwhelm a little bit. And so, not that we need to talk about strategies for re-entry, but it's more about resilience and flourishing and, and what we can be paying attention to and are there practices that we can be engaging in to support our own resilience and flourishing?
0: Yeah, I think always there's something that we can be doing and for each person it may be a little bit customized as I was saying before, a little bit unique, right? And so I think one of the most important things we can do is to Pay attention to what our own flags are, our own internal signs that we might um, that we might be getting sort of towards the edge of what we can tolerate. Um, and uh, you know, the way to do that is really just to to kind of be paying close attention to two things. One is the sensations that you feel inside. So that, so by that I am talking about heat or coolness. You know, some, my partner uses the phrase and it's an apt one, right? If he's angry, he says he's hot. I'm, I'm really hot about that, right? And um, that's common, in some, common language in some cultural contexts. And, and it's because we actually tend to, not everybody. Some people will get cold, right? But we will tend to get hot or cold in response to particular emotions, right? Or I probably shouldn't say in response to it's a chicken and egg thing. What actually happens first, but as our whole lived experience, we might be angry and hot at the same time. So sensations like heat or some sort of subtle movement in your body. Like I was talking before about a client who had kind of like turning stomach, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff going on or, um, uh, all of those things. But then also you can pay attention to where your body is in physical space. So like you're noticing of your shoulders being pulled in tight or, or more relaxed. It's not something that's very observable to anyone else. It could be something observable, right? It could be something like your, your head's uh, sort of, you look, your head's down, you look kind of crestfallen or whatever, or your chin is up. Right. It could be very observable, but it could also be just a kind of a subtle tension, or you always cross your legs or cross your arms as a way of sort of, you can cross your arms without fending off the world, but sometimes we cross our arms to fend off the world. Right.
1: Right. Right. So make the distinction here between body language, because people, you know, yeah. will say, I think that's a really important distinction to make between the sensations that we're noticing and, quote, body language.
0: Yeah. And I'm not talking, I'm really, really glad you asked that because I'm not actually talking about body language. And and, and some of what I'm talking about here could overlap with body language, Right. right? So there's, you know, first of all, body language varies vastly by culture. Right, so what's acceptable and the meaning of certain gestures will will vary vastly by culture. Whether or not you meet someone's eyes and for how long, that's body language that can vary by culture, right? Um, whether or not you cross your arms and what that means, that's body language and that varies by culture. What I'm talking about is embodiment. In other words, what is your way of being, your way of knowing and your way of paying attention, right? So you may be crossing your arms because that's just a very relaxed position for you, or you may be crossing your arms because actually there's some intense energy coming at you that you just don't really wanna take in. And only you can know that from the inside. So what's your way of being in this moment? Now that could overlap with body language, right? Because body language experts will tell you, oh, don't cross your arms because that will send a signal that you don't, you know, that you're trying to block something. Mm -hmm. You're not open. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think there are, we can sort of point to broad averages about body language and that sort of thing. But I think what's really different here is fundamentally we're talking about like an inside out game an inside out job, which is like, what's your internal way of being and how is that getting expressed through sensation and movement? And then how are you paying attention to that and working with that to to bring forth your most um, generative way of being to meet the moment, whatever the moment's calling for or asking for?
1: I am curious if I'm thinking about like a strategy, so again, I'm working with this uh, gentleman that I was speaking about earlier. So we have this strategy when you start feeling this way, you know, do these things, take a few deep breaths, sit back, relax your jaw, etc. And then like some kind of reflection practice after that, that says, did that work? you know, did I, did I notice a difference or did other people seem to notice a difference because I made that shift? What do you think about that?
0: I just think, yes. <laughs> like I don't know. I don't know, I, would, I don't know that I would add a lot. So the only thing that I would say, so to make it like as crystal clear as possible for listeners, like if you wanted to try this on yourself, Find your flag. Find your cue. Right. Find your. Um, I sometimes talk about like get to know your triggered self. Yes. Right. And you can. I have a resource for this on on my website, which I can point people to later if you like. But like, it just just draw a little stick figure and go and and draw some arrows and go right here. I felt tense. Right here. I felt hot. Right here. I felt. You know, I was like tapping my foot or whatever. Right. And then, and then you could write that down the left side. And then on the right side, you could go, okay, who am I at my best in this situation? Mm. Right? Like, how, how do I really want to show up? And actually, it, I want to bring like myself with my dog, right? The person that I show up with my dog, like, like that is the best me for this particular application, right? And with my dog, I'm like I have a smile on my face, my, you know, I'm really like relaxed across the upper part of my chest. I can I can just relax back into my chair. My foot isn't tapping. I don't have any of that jittery nervousness. Okay, so that's that's what I want to bring. And then, and then you just practice bringing that over and over and over. And you can set an alarm on your phone, or you can look at your calendar and go, "Dog self is coming to <laughs> meeting meeting at ten a.m." Right? <laughs> and then, and then, uh, and then, yeah. And then you, and then you evaluate that, and you go, "How'd that go? What did I learn?" And this is the benefit of having a coach, right? Is to kind of help you like map out what you know. What do I notice about myself? in a triggered state and at my best. And how do I, really learn from and recognize like the experiments that I'm making in the world.
1: Yeah. And I think that we can ask for help from our colleagues, the people yes. who love us and say, hey, you know what, when you see me doing that thing, like, uh, like my jaws are clenched or whatever. And, uh, you know, I will call, sometimes I call them triggers, or sometimes I call them tells, like, so what are your tells Perfect. that yeah. your ex, you know, and if you don't know, just ask people who know you really well. And <laughs> They'll tell you what your tells are because we all have them. Like we yeah. can't not because we're we're constantly expressing something, even when we're trying not to express anything. That's sending some signal. That's a tell for something.
0: Yeah, I, I love the term tells. I often t- uh, talk about flags. I mm-hmm. like tells much better. And it's true. Your your loved ones will they can tell you. <laughs> in two seconds flat what it is. Um, and, and I also just want to say like the value of having a coach, I didn't meet you could hire a coach, right. But that wasn't even what I was really talking about more like just having an outside, a skilled outside eye, kind of help you see yourself because it's, this can be actually a little bit challenging for us to do because it's, I, I sort of referenced this a little bit earlier, this stuff is a little bit invisible to us by both biological and cultural convention, biological design, cultural convention. So we do actually have to make an active effort to pay attention um, if we want to benefit. And it's outside our conscious awareness on purpose so that we can pay attention to other things so that we can write poetry and create Mm. art and do interesting scientific research and build cool rocket ships or whatever anyone's out there doing right like yeah it's so that we can do other stuff in the world so instead of being so self
1: absorbed can... with uh, what's going on in my interior if we exactly. were oh if we only did that we wouldn't be able to do all the th- we wouldn't be doing all the things that you just named
0: right so the autopilot thing it's great it's our friend it's so good it's just that when we're getting in our own way or tripping ourselves up or showing up not in a way that we would ideally want to, we have, a, we're not stuck with that, right? Like how many times, I don't know, Leanne, how many times you've run into a client who said this to you or just a friend, right? Who's like, well, I'm sorry, I'm just that way,
1: right? right. Like yeah. there's no, I, or I'm the sort of person who I'm the kind right. of person who, yeah. I'm like, don't Right.
0: S- yeah. Right. And it's like, well, if you want to be, you can keep (laughs) doing that, you know, but that we have actually a much greater range and capacity for change than we typically realize or Mm -hmm. allow ourselves. So there's a lot of promise here, especially on those dimensions that I mentioned, right? Like who doesn't want more flourishing, more resilience and a, a better ability to manage the conflicts in their lives? Yeah. I, I
1: think that it's important for us to Think about, like you said, uh, your dog self, you know, like I, when I am this person, you know, where is that appropriate and how often, you know, maybe I want like 80% of my life to be the dog, you know, how I am with my dog. I don't know. I think that that's important to think about like all the different ways that you show up in life, what you want from your life for me, more play would be good. I tend to be wow. a sort of serious person. And so if I want more play in my life and I could trace it back. So if I w- want more play, if I am more playful, let me say it that way. I'm more lighthearted. I'm more playful. What's the impact that that will have on the people I love and the world that I live in, my neighbors, my all of that. So it's not just for me, but it's, it's important for me to think what impact would it make if I were more playful? Yeah. If I were, if I were more whatever, and it, it, not that, the, not that I'm lacking anything, but I, you know, if I put it in the context of something bigger, something outside of myself, it's really helpful. And if I get really clear about that, then it's, um, I'm, I'm more able to determine. Oh, this would be a good place for the dog self. Okay, this is, uh, this is where I need to bring more confidence. The dog self just needs to stay at home today, and I need to really be confident. And I, I think just the, the intention that we put there is really, really important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's really, really well said. And, you know, kind of going back to the parts work, right? There's, we all just have different aspects our, of ourselves that we can bring forward in any given moment. So this isn't about like somehow being wrong or bad, right? There's, there's. it's not about how we're broken, it, but it really is about cultivating the best in ourselves and looking for, you know, especially in the situations that I care about the most or that have the most meaning to me or that have the most impact on the course of the future of my life or, you know, whatever it is, um, those situations, like, how do I want to show up? Mm-hmm. And then how do I bring my whole self to that desire to show up in a particular way, as opposed to just being like, oh, I know, I, I want to be more playful here, right? <laughs> like. And then it's like kind of an idea, but right. And
1: then I get to the end of the week or the month or whatever. And I say, I was going to be more playful. (laughs) What happened to that? What (laughs) happened to that? So I feel like I got us off track because I was asking about resilience. You started talking about triggers or tells or the signs that we're under stress or whatever. And I do want to loop back to that because it feels important. Um, Resilience and flourishing Paying attention to that feels important. And so I'm not sure if there's something else that you wanted to add there because I feel like I kind of derailed us on that a little bit.
0: Um, I didn't feel derailed, but there's there's always more I could add. <laughs> um, and what and I think what I'll say is just that um, if you can think of resilience as tapping your best in hard situations, right? So where you might be uh, challenged or pushed or thrown off your game, we're always going to get thrown off our game. It's not a question of like, let's never get thrown off our game. Like that's just not what's, that's not life, you know? So let life do its thing. You're going to get thrown off. And then and then how frequently and how quickly can you come back to whatever you've identified as your your best? And one of the things that I haven't talked about at all really is the difference between embodied self-awareness and conceptual self-awareness. But these are like neurobiologically distinct, uh, ways of paying attention to ourselves. And when we integrate them, so for example, when we pay attention to how do I hold myself when I'm really at my best, right? How do I hold myself when something happens and I let it roll off my shoulders? Cause we all know how to do that. And we do that sometimes right? So you can notice like physically, what are you doing? And also what's your outlook, which Mm. may or may not happen in words, but that would be part of your conceptual self-awareness. It's like, there's something going on that's an interpretation. It's kind of in language. It might not be in words, right? But when we can marry that and we can go, um, so an example is a client of mine who um, really smart guy, but also working with like a bunch of other really smart people, launching rockets into the into space, right? So he he would get intimidated, and he learned how to shift his body in a certain way where he would open his chest and just say inside himself, "My purpose is service." And that came from another part of his life where he felt really with his family, where he felt really in tune with himself and clear. And he was just be able to bring that best self in to these high pressure situations where he felt intimidated. And, and then he could, bring, he could bring his best to whatever meeting, decision-making, planning they had going on. And his contribution was really important because he was the only person that had his particular expertise. So, you know... Marrying a physical shift into your best self with just like a short phrase of a reminder, which could just sound like playfulness, or gravitas, or confidence, or and that's and,
1: and that's the conceptual piece. That's so the when your so when your client was saying my purpose is service, that's conceptual. So that. Uh, maybe sometimes what we might call an affirmation, if people use that, but that that is conceptual. And That's then, more conceptual, yeah, yeah. And then what is the the being or the body or the embodiment that we want to to bring to that?
0: Right, is right. the embodiment
1: and- piece in, instead of the conceptual piece.
0: Well, one of the things that where affirmations fall short is it's it's a little bit like writing on the chalkboard, which has actually been just shown not to work. It's why they don't really do that in school anymore. Right? <laughs> I, I will not talk to Johnny in class or whatever. Um, it, just repeating a phrase to yourself over and over and over, it actually, it's just taps a very, very small part of our intelligence. So what we do is if we can actually tap the part of our intelligence that's operating outside our, of our conscious awareness, which is actually really the more, in many ways, the more powerful intelligence. Mm. Some people talk about this as the elephant and the rider, right? This is the elephant. It's like, when you can tap into like, Oh, what I need to do is, you know, let my shoulders expand or feel my feet or, or my feet on the floor, or my seat in the chair or uh, drop my chin a little bit or whatever it is. You can tap into that sort of like get the elephant on your side then, then also remind yourself of what your purpose is, okay. or the playfulness that you want, or the, you know, whatever it is, and and um those things married, that's actually tapping a m- much larger network across the whole of your brain and your body, than just doing one or the other alone.
1: Yeah. So not either or. It, yeah, it's but, not. But, but, either but, yeah, or. Bring, it's bringing them both.
0: Powerful, then. It's most powerful if you can marry those.
1: Mm-hmm. Great. Great. I feel like we've uh, covered a lot here. And I just have to say how great it is to be looking at you again. It really has been a decade, I think, since we've we've connected with each other. I want to leave listeners with a, a resource. And I think that we've talked about some self-awareness, the embodied self-awareness, noticing our our triggers, our flags, our tells, whatever those are. Maybe we enlist a coach, whether it's a professional coach or someone um, that we work with, but just, you know, and trying some new things, reflecting on that. I also want to, and I will make sure and link to this um, in the show notes. The book is really, really helpful. And I'm, I'm going to, uh, list that, um, your body is your brain. And then also you mentioned that you have a resource on your website that people can use to identify like where I, do you want to just say that, or I'll just put it in the show notes?
0: Oh, you can put it in the show notes. It's, I call it the stress to serenity guide. It's just a short series of emails of like a practice that you can use and a little booklet that goes with it that kind of talks about fantastic this kind of thing and gives you a map where you can map out sort of those tells of both sort of a more riled up state and a more powerful state. Okay,
1: fantastic. I will um, put those in the show notes. And I want to mention too, that the name of your website or the name of your company is Embright, E-M-B-R-I-G-H-T dot org correct yeah, I've got that that is right. correct yeah nice.
0: bright.org very good um, yeah
1: so I am going to be um, looking for your next book I don't know if that's in the works do you have something that you're that you're chewing on or that you're working on
0: I have actually several projects um the first is that I need to finish this dissertation which I'll have that <laughs> year so let me get that off my off my plate. That's a big undertaking, um, but I'm excited to write up that research because it's really it's informing us a lot about what's possible here. Okay, um, and then that may or may not become a book. And then I have another book about practice, and I have another book about philosophy, and they're all in various stages of completion. So lots more lots more to come. And um, yeah, well, we'll we'll speak with you again.
1: I'll direct folks to the. What was it like? A,
0: oh, it's, I sometimes call it Stress to Serenity Guide, Stress to Serenity guide. Ch- ch- set Challenge. Because okay, sometimes great. I think about it that way. Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: it's, it, it sounds like a great resource. I'll direct everyone to that. Mandy, thank you so much for um, having this conversation. It's just always a delight uh, to be with you. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing. It's really a, a great marriage of the science and really practical application of something that I think has been really difficult to put words to sometimes. And I think you're just doing a beautiful job of it. So thank you.
0: Mm, Well, it's my pleasure. And thank you so much for having me on. It's so good to reconnect with you. So big fun. All right. Take good care. Okay, you too.
1: if you like what you heard today, subscribe to Rise Leaders Radio on your preferred podcast platform. Your ratings, reviews, and shares are also really appreciated. You can also visit rise-leaders.com for all the resources we talked about today and to work with me if you're committed to making your unique and positive impact. Thank you for listening and remember, elevate your part of the
0: world.